0: This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sepona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at siponarroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 7. We began a a conversation last week um, on a series that just entitled The Exodus, A Way Out. And we walked through what, um, the little bit of the beginning of what it was like for Moses to be called. Moses was the guy, we'll do a quick recap, Moses was a guy that, Uh, He was a Hebrew, born of a Hebrew slave living in Egypt. The decree was put out that every young male was going to be killed, so his mother put him in a basket, waterproofed the basket, and then put him in the river. Um, He was placed, uh, one of the main great points that the Lord gave us last week was he was put in the exact same river that the rest of the boys were. The rest of the boys drowned and died, but because of the preparation of his mother, the prayer of his mother, we talked about that basket representing prayer because of the anointing, the prayer, the preparation, what his mom had done for him, he lived through that. Um, and so we talked about taking care of our kids, praying over our kids, blessing our kids to put them in a basket of protection. Then we looked at what it was like for Moses to go up on the mountain. I told you to find your mountain. He was just out attending, uh, he was tending his father-in-law's sheep whenever he went up, led them up to Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai got its name as the mountain of God at that point. We have no evidence at all that it was the mountain of God before. Then he led them there, and that was where God met him, and that mountain become a place from that day forward that would have a major representation. It would have a major significance in the body of believers from then on, the people of Israel. Then I told you to uh, strip it off. He was told that Uh, Before he could enter into the presence, he showed up to the mountain and he wanted to get a little bit closer to the presence of God. He wanted to get closer to that bush that was burning. But before he could approach the bush, God said, you need to take your sandals off because where you're standing is holy ground. And I told you this really nasty, disgusting statistic that uh, there was a study done uh, a year ago. USA Today uh, recorded it and it said that out of the ten people... I want to make sure I ain't telling you no, no lie here. USA Today, it was July 4, 2019. The 10 people that they uh, studied, they give them brand new tennis shoes, and in two weeks, they checked out the bacteria on their shoe, and there was a tremendous amount of bacteria on the outside versus the inside, and you know how bad your feet stink and how bad your shoes stink, right? So can you imagine what's on the outside? And every one of those shoes had some kind of, uh, it's really gross, but a bacteria, fecal matter and bacteria, diarrhea, bacteria causing uh, bacteria on the bottom of the shoes. That's disgusting. So the point of that is, before we enter into the presence, before we approach the, the, the throne of God, we get to the place He wants us to go, sometimes you got to strip it off. Sometimes you got to figure out, you can't take what happened yesterday, you can't take what's happened in your past, they're on your shoes. There's no way to get rid of that. There's no way God forgives us, He forgets, He moves on, but realistically, in our person, in our human mind, we can't put off what happened yesterday but just so much, right? It's with us. We carry it everywhere I've ever been, everywhere I've walked this morning. It's on the bottom of my shoe, even if it's a microscopic amount. It's there. I'm tracking it everywhere I go. And he said, strip it off. And then I told you uh, the last thing is you throw it down. And we looked at the idea that uh, God asked Moses when Moses said, I can't do this, Lord. How am I supposed to, to prove to the people of Israel that I'm your man, that you spoke to me? And he said, what's in your hand? What was in his hand was a shepherd's staff. It was a staff he had been using as his tool up on the mountain. And and God said, well, throw it down. It became a serpent. He picked it back up. At that point, it became anointed. God had taken what he had in his hand. He had totally changed it. And by the time uh, Moses left that place of his home and he went back to Egypt, it says that he left with his family and God's staff. It was no longer just a shepherd's staff, but it was the staff of God. God will take what we have, He'll turn it, and He will make it His. So today, we're moving forward just a little bit in this uh, concept of the Exodus in this story. And I'll read you a passage of Scripture out of uh, Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New American Standard version today, and it's up on your screen. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his hand. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and I will bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron, as Moses and Aaron did it, as the Lord commanded them, thus they did. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. There's a thought here, first of all, before we even move forward, because it's a complete side note, but I need you to see it. Verse 1 said, this is God speaking to Moses. He said, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh, And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now we know that there's none like God, right? You're not going to be God, correct? Correct, you're not going to be God. However, the Lord himself said, when you go stand in the face of your adversary, the power within you that I'm placing in you is going to allow you to face that adversary as God. That's a powerful statement because that means the adversary that I'm going to face at 12.15, when I walk out the door in a little while, it won't be 12.15, it'll be more like 1. Whenever I make it out the door here in just a little bit, the adversary that I'm going to face, the, the, the thing that's going to come against me, the struggle that I'm going to face, the Bible says that I can literally approach that adversary as God. I can't lose humility in that. I have to realize I am who I am. And I serve the great I am. But because I am his, I can approach my adversary as God. Therefore, why do we fear? We step back just a little bit. And if you'll go back to, uh, you can kind of follow along. In chapter 5, we kind of look. And this is very very close to where we left off last week. uh, Moses and Aaron make their first run to Pharaoh. Aaron himself stepping into the picture is important. I was in a discussion uh, a while back, several weeks back, we were talking about armor bearers. And in different cultures, and different churches, there are uh, men, there are young boys that serve as armor bearers for ministers. Now, if you'd like to serve as my armor bearer, I'll be taking applications. You can carry my Bible, my iPad, my bottle of water. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Laugh with me. Come on, don't be quiet today. But realistically, there is a place in the church in many cultures of an armor-bearer. And what what it's represented is uh, we look at a story where uh, David and Jonathan were friends and and Jonathan was the armor-bearer, but the idea is it's a person that serves the minister, right? Right. And this conversation did the exact same thing that you just did when I told you I was taking applications for you to carry my Bible and carry my iPad. The discussion said, this really isn't biblical and there's no need for an armor bearer. I agree to the extent there's no reason that I can't carry my own Bible. You with me? But there are battles that I stand against. There are times when I walk... To the pulpit to declare the word of God that without an armor bearer without somebody holding up my arms as as they did for for Moses later without somebody lifting me up spiritually I don't need you to carry my bible I need you to carry my heart without somebody lifting me up spiritually there's many times I couldn't stand Aaron is extremely important in this story Not to be a sidekick, not to be the one to carry Moses' staff, but he literally is the one, God said, I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your prophet. Moses said, I can't speak, I can't even talk clear, and you want me to go have these elaborate conversations with the elders of Israel and with the king himself. He said, well, actually, he don't even know it yet, and and you really don't know yet, but I'm going to send Aaron, your brother, he's going to meet you on the mountaintop, and he's going to be your mouthpiece family. We need each other. There are things that I don't do well. I'm not perfect. And if you thought I was, you got a problem. You're not either. Moses could not speak. Moses had the heart to do what was right. He heard the voice of God, but he had a limitation. He said, I can't eloquently communicate what needs to be communicated. And God said, that's okay. I've already got somebody prepared who's going to fill that gap for you. And you two as a team can move forward to accomplish the mission. I've been watching a TV show. Again, don't judge me. We'll talk about it later. I told you Wednesday night that I have my convictions and I will turn something off in a minute. Okay? So hear my heart. There's a team called, there's a TV show called SEAL Team. And it's intrigued me. Almost to the point that I had to ask forgiveness because I'd binge-watched SEAL team. But what I'm intrigued about is the unit. I'm intrigued how close-knit this group of guys are. It's a, um, a Navy SEAL group it's a team it's a show all about this one team bravo team there's a leader that team leader has guys under him every guy on that team has a specific role every guy on that team has a different role bravo one and bravo two are extremely different people number one man and number two man are extremely different people Number 1 man is a hero. He's a hothead. He don't take any uh, anything from anybody. He goes against all authority. He has realistically he's got issues, right? Number 2 man is humble. He's a family man. He's quiet, he's reserved. So many times he goes to Bravo 1 and brings him back in check and says you're wrong. This team works as a unit. And they need each other. They'll put a guy on that team that deals with explosives. There's a dog on that team. The dog, they jump out of an airplane and the dog will be strapped to his handler and, and they fly down and then when they get down, they parachute down, they get on the ground. That dog knows what he's supposed to do. He'll go running through a house, he'll go searching whatever, he'll attack somebody's arm. When he comes up on an explosive, he'll sit down. He has a nose that the human beings don't have, right? Right? Aaron had a trait, he had a gift and ability that Moses could not feel. When we ever get to a place where we think we can do it all, or we think we have to do it alone, we are going to be left out to dry. We cannot do it by ourselves. We don't know it all. We're not good enough. Aaron was important. The, God actually sent Aaron. It was interesting because, to my knowledge, Moses and Aaron had no communication. They didn't even communicate until they made it to the mountain of God, until they joined together. They did not communicate. God told Moses, I'm going to send Aaron to meet you. And then God told Aaron, go meet Moses. They joined together, and with God they formulated the plan. So they show up to meet Pharaoh the first time in chapter 5. Pharaoh, you're going to let our people go. They've been in bondage long enough. We want to go up and worship. We want to go up and offer sacrifices. Pharaoh said, no, it's not going to happen. It's interesting in verse 2. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. How often do we expect people who don't know God, to hear the voice of God. Moses showed up and said, this is what the God of Israel says, you're to let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't even know your God. Why am I to obey his voice and I don't even know him? Communication is extremely important in our relationships. And if we don't know each other, we can't communicate, right? Right? If you don't know God, you're not going to communicate with God. And we expect people around us sometimes to hear the revelation of God like we heard the revelation, and they ain't got a relationship with God at all. So this twisted completely. And what was supposed to be, hey, we're going to go in, get this done, and make it happen, turned into, uh, actually, just because you showed up, I'm going to make it hard on your people. The people of Israel had been making bricks for the Egyptians. I told you that last week. And up until this point, the Egyptians had been supplying all of the resources to make the bricks. But now because Moses and Aaron show up and tick off Pharaoh, he says, well now, you're going to make the same number of bricks, but you got to go gather the straw. I ain't doing it for you no more. And the slave drivers become harsher and harsher. And the foremen of Israel, these these guys that were over the unit, that were over the the workers. Really, Moses? What are you doing? As if it wasn't bad enough, now you're going to make it so that it's even worse for us? So they go back, they regroup. In chapter 6, God had to remind Moses of the covenant he had made. I believe Moses probably walked away in defeat. Pharaoh didn't just say, yeah, absolutely, man. Take your guys and get on out of here. Go do whatever you want to do. So Moses goes back in questions. And God said, it's not about you, Moses. See, I made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob long before you ever showed up to the picture. I made a covenant with them that, they're, that the people of Israel were going to come out of slavery. They were going to walk into freedom. And so it doesn't really matter what you think or what you do. It doesn't really matter how you operate in this. My promise that existed long before you still stands today. So we have to walk in the understanding. We have to walk in the boldness. You and I weren't the first ones to deal with this issue. You and I weren't the first ones to deal with the struggle we face and begging God for freedom, and begging God for liberty and whatever the situation is. If a promise has been made, the promise has been made. The people of Israel are coming out of bondage one way or another. Right? God's got a promise for you to prosper one way or another. God's got a promise for you to walk in freedom, for you to walk in victory one way or another. Y'all don't believe that today. Lord, have mercy the defeat on the house. The promise has already been made. Walk in the victory. The promise still stands. Whether it's Moses, whether it's Aaron, whether it's the next guy, whether it's ten generations from now, if God said freedom's coming, freedom's coming. They're going to walk into the promised land. God reassures him of that covenant. And they show back up. So they show back up and in chapter chapter 7, verse 9, Pharaoh says, hey, work a miracle, show me something. And this is so cool to me because remember before it was Moses that threw down the staff and it was Moses' staff that turned to the serpent when he picked it back up. Now, Moses' staff was no longer a shepherd's staff but the staff of God, right? Look in chapter 7, verse 9. When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh. And that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. They did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before the Lord, or before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Before it was Moses' staff. But now when Aaron's come in and joined the team, they met on the mountaintop, they met with God. Now Aaron has received the same authority, the same power, the same anointing that Moses had. When the team unifies, the team comes together, the body of Christ comes together. We recognize our weaknesses, we recognize our strengths. We come together to mesh and we're all anointed with the same anointing. Things seem to flow. But then there's these magicians. Not musicians, magicians that can perform the same act. Because the world's always trying to imitate God's work. The world is constantly trying to imitate our desire and our hunger for something supernatural. Look at our entertainment. Always trying to imitate the supernatural of God, right? says that they were able to do the same thing, but what's different is, Aaron's serpent went and swallowed up all of their little serpents. They were able to perform the same act. They threw down their staff, they become snakes. But it doesn't matter how often and how hard the world wants to imitate God, all God always prevails. His power and his authority is always stronger. Than the world's. So then they move forward. This is interesting. Remember God has hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That's important to understand. God has sent Moses and Aaron on a mission. Literally against what God. Is allowing to happen. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Yet he still sends Moses and Aaron. To go accomplish this. So in verse 14, when the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out of the water, station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile, and you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. And he takes that staff and he strikes the Nile River. And the water literally becomes blood. As the water becomes blood, the fish die. The people are looking something to drink. They can't find anything to drink. And Pharaoh says, well, no, it's not happening. The magicians were also able to make the water turn to blood. So Moses said, fine, Pharaoh. What's going to happen is frogs are going to come up in all the land. They're going to be in your houses. They're going to be in your beds. They're going to be in your cupboards. They're going to be in all your food. Frogs are coming up. That's what happened. Frog showed up, ribbit. Go take a shower, ribbit. Lay down in the bed, ribbit. Get ready to get you a bowl of Reesey Puffs and some milk, ribbit. And the magicians were able to do the same thing. We underestimate sometimes the power of Satan to imitate God. I can't make frogs a beer, can you? But yet, these sorcerers, these magicians of Egypt could. The only way they could do it was by the power of the enemy. We have to be in tune enough with God to decipher the difference between what's really God's doing and what's really the enemy's doing sometimes. He gives us wisdom. He gives us discernment. But if we're not in tune, sometimes we miss that. So the frogs show up. And Pharaoh said, okay, 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 I'll let you people go. Moses said, okay, great. You let me know when and the frogs will disappear tomorrow I've never understood this thought process if he had the authority to say right now why did he not because Pharaoh's like you and I in so many ways and the frogs represent the thing that creeps into our life whether it be doubt rid it Fear, ribbit. Insecurity, ribbit. An addiction, ribbit. That, that little bit of something that twists us, that our, our tongue that we can't quite control, ribbit. The gossip that we want to use to talk about somebody behind their back, ribbit. And before we know it, everywhere we turn is a ribbit. And we have the authority to stop it right now in the name of Jesus. But we say not nah, tomorrow. Somehow, some way, they had become accustomed and comfortable with living with the frogs. And you and I have become accustomed and comfortable with living with too many frogs. We're living with too much junk in our life and in our families. in the way we're living this life in our day-to-day walkout, and we walk down the road and say, oh, that's a frog. And don't even think about it. We keep on rolling. And before we know it, they've consumed us. You can't lay your head down at night without something tormenting you. And it's a frog, and you have the authority right now to say, I'm none in the name of Jesus. And Pharaoh said, nah, tomorrow. There's some frogs. We better be kicking out. So then it goes on. They said, Fine. After every one of these, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That's important. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And so Moses said, All right, the land's going to be filled with gnats or lice and gnats swarmed everything I lived in South Georgia for six months seven months there's some stuff on the shelves here called no gnats you ever seen that no gnats was started in South Georgia it was unreal there was this awesome little it would look like I was worshiping the devil, I reckon, but I had this motion that just, i constant. Get off my ear, once in a while, I, just, I mean, my arm got strong because i just stand there fanning gnats away. Could you imagine? Everywhere you go, everything you look at, everything you eat, being covered with gnats, the magicians could not replicate this. This was their point they had to stop. There comes a point in the limitation of the world replicating the power of God. This was the point. So the gnats are, are not bad enough, so then Moses sends flies. Ah, I can't stand a fly. I wish I'd have been on a marketing team that started fly Waters. you imagine the money they've made? You go buy a fly swatter to kill a fly that's just a little bitty, big as my thumbnail almost. You pay good money for that fly swatter. Some of you got the ones that go, bzz, 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 bzz. The flies weren't enough, though. Over and over, God's trying to tell the people, He's pushing, pushing. Pharaoh, let the people go. But all the while, he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. So they want enough. So God said, all right. All your cattle's going to die. We'll kill off the cattle. No, No beef for a while. I want enough. So this is interesting to me. Moses, the Bible... God told Moses to go and get some ash and stand up at a place and throw the ash out in the direction of Egypt. And when he threw the ash out, the people were covered in boils. Moses actually took the initiative in this one. He struck the water with the staff. The frogs rose up. The gnats showed up but he literally had to go get ash and throw it against the people of Egypt. So they get boils, they get sores. The magicians wouldn't even come out their hiding hole because they were covered in boils themselves. But that's not enough. So God said, I'm going to send a hailstorm. It's going to destroy not only your homes, but the crops, the plants, you better get your animals inside or your animals are going to die. He sends a hailstorm. It's not enough. So the locusts come in and they, whatever they can find to eat that's not been destroyed by the hell, the locusts come in and devour it. You imagine the noise? The noise that consumed Egypt? There's locusts everywhere. <laughs> Finally, said Pharaoh, "said Get them, get them gone." I said, "Okay." So he brought in a wind, and the wind pushed them out. Pharaoh said, "No, it's not time yet. People got to stay right here." So God said, "I'm bringing darkness over all of Egypt," and darkness fell. And your Bible said the people didn't even rise; they didn't even get out to bed. They didn't move because of the darkness that sat on them. For several days the darkness stayed. Finally Pharaoh said, Enough's enough. But God again hardened his heart. So then here's the last plague. God said, This is the last. This is what's going to happen. Every firstborn, of the land of Egypt's going to be killed. Animal, man. Every firstborn is going to be killed. From this point forward, a sacrifice will be required of a firstborn. But here's what's got to happen, Moses. You need to tell your people they need to go slay a lamb. You give some instructions because there's order in God's direction. If your family's not big enough to have a lamb on its own, share with the family beside you. You're to eat eat unleavened bread. You're to slay the blood of this lamb. You're not to boil it. You're not to eat it raw. You're to roast it over fire. Consume it. Take the blood and put over the doorpost. And when death comes through the land, as long as you've been marked by the blood, your house will be moved over. Don't send nobody outside. Stay in your house. And as long as blood's over the doorpost, you'll be passed over. The Passover. Moses directs, he tells everybody, everybody goes through this process. They wake up and there is the worst cry Egypt has ever experienced. The Bible says in the middle of the night that Pharaoh woke up and his son, his own son was dead. And as people begin to wake up and realize that these firstborn children were dead, the animals were laying in the yard dead, a cry, a mourn like had never been heard before began to cover Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh said, Go, get out of here. You need to leave. Got three thoughts about Pharaoh. The first one I've already told you: God had a uh, Pharaoh had an opportunity to get rid of frogs at his pleasure, yet he still put it off to the next day. If you and I aren't careful, we become like Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. I read you the passage of scripture in chapter seven, chapter seven, verse three. So, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. There are days that I feel like I'm fighting that brick wall in everything I do in my house, in my health, in my ministry. There's days I feel like I'm walking up and I'm pushing against a brick wall, literally. I hate to tell you, unless you know something I don't, you're not pushing this wall down. Right? But that don't mean I'm not called to walk up and put my hand on it and keep pushing. Right? This is the resistance. The devil, you're not going to have my kids. You're not going to come against my family. You're not going to put me in financial strain. I got freedom. You're not going to bound me in addiction. You're not going to bound my mind in depression. You ain't coming against me. I'm still going to push. To understand the fact that God's the one that made it hard turns the tables. Because understanding that, if we're not careful, puts God's on their side and not on our side. Never is God on their side. Ever. But he hardened Pharaoh's heart and he kept telling Moses, go do this, go do this, go do this. And they kept pushing against the wall that was going nowhere. And I questioned it. God, why did you harden Pharaoh's heart? Why could it not be that they just walked out in freedom. And he said, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Somebody in Egypt had to know that God had the authority to bring darkness over the earth. Somebody in Egypt had to know that the almighty God had the authority to send hell down that would destroy everything in sight. Somebody had to know how annoying it would be if the land was filled with gnats. So maybe it's not that the resistance is to push me down, but maybe it's so that when I break through this wall, the people on the other side know what I actually went through to knock this wall down. You hear me? Maybe it's not about me on this side. Maybe it's so that the people out there watching me push against the resistance can see what it really took for me. They see a brick wall. I see a beautiful, painted, sheetrock wall. On the outside, they see a brick structure. Maybe they need to see when I push through and I become the Incredible Hulk and I bust through there under the power of the anointing, they get to see that dude just busted down a brick wall. I don't know who he's got fighting with him, who is fighting on the inside of him, but I need that. That resistance had nothing to do with Moses and Aaron. It had everything to do with the people of Egypt. He said, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so that my signs and my wonders will be known to the people of Egypt. But that's not the only reason. Turn with me to chapter 13. last point about Pharaoh, while you're flipping, is Pharaoh was willing at one point to let him go sacrifice, but he said, don't go too far. They said, we just want to go a three days journey out. He said, go sacrifice, but don't go too far. Can I tell you that the enemy will give you just enough to let you dip your feet? but he won't let you go too far. I'll even make it more personal. Can I tell you that there's some things in our life I don't want to lose this relationship with this person, this friendship. I can't handle losing this job. I can't handle losing what it is that I've got. So I'll go out a little bit, but I can't go too far because it's going to draw me back just a little bit. If we're not careful, we take on that person a pharaoh. He said, yeah, you go worship, go make your sacrifices, but don't go too far. I'm an extreme kind of guy. I prefer to push the line rather than hold it close. So I struggle with this concept. But if we're not careful, we become like Pharaoh. And the things in our life are comfort. Our security holds us back from walking into the promised land God's got for us. We can go worship, but I'm just going to go right outside the land of Egypt, and I'm just going to stay right here where it's comfortable. I can still retreat back to get some food. I can retreat back to my house. I can retreat back to what's comfortable, but I'm going to stay right here. Never understanding that to go back is a walk into slavery. To go back where we came from is to walk into slavery. God's not wanting us to go just a little bit. He's wanting us to walk and walk and walk and journey and journey. We're going to talk about the journey next week. Faith had not next week, the following week. you're going to be a revival next week. He might talk about the journey. I don't know. Wouldn't that be amazing? They would have never made it to the promised land if they had followed Pharaoh's order and just stayed close by. Chapter 13. Beginning in verse 11. I'm going to get kind of gross with you in just a minute, but this is where the revelation came from for me. Now when the Lord brings you to the land of Canaanite, as he swore to you and your fathers, and he gives it to you, You shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to the Lord, but every first offspring of a donkey, you shall redeem it with a lamb. If you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck and every firstborn of man also are among your sons. You shall redeem and it shall be when your son asks you in the time to come saying, what is this? Can you imagine being a son and daddy going out and getting the donkey, getting the sheep? Son, you're here, so we got to kill a little white, wooly lamb. What is this, dad? You shall say to him with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, but the both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord the males of the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I shall redeem. So it shall serve as your sign on your hand. It's a marking. For the powerful hand of the Lord, powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. I told you that a whole lot of my revelations, my final hours of sermon prep, come in the shower on a Sunday morning. I'm thinking through my message. I'm thinking through the word, what God's given me. Just bear with me for a minute. It's gross. But I'm in the shower this morning. I don't know if you blow your nose or not, but I blow my nose in the shower. Yuck. But I look down and all of a sudden blood starts pouring from my nose. And I stood in the shower 15 minutes trying to get my nose to quit bleeding. And as I stood there and I watched the blood splatter, it's it's gross, I don't care. On the floor of the shower, I had to be redeemed. I watched life Bright red. That blood went from a dark, deep burgundy to a bright red when oxygen hit it. And I watched the life drip out of my nose. And I thought about it, and I thought about, you know, God said, your children and forevermore, you will sacrifice because of your firstborn." Daddy, this is disgusting. Why are we slaying this sheep's neck? He was my friend. I was about to show him at the 4-H club, and you're about to slay him? What is this, son? Way back, Father Abraham had a covenant with the Lord. And he fought, and he walked a life. He was a friend of God. And then his son Isaac had a covenant with the Lord. And Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had a covenant with God. And finally the time came, son, where you don't have a clue what life used to be. But a time came where God took our people, the people he loved, the people he cared about. We were in bondage, son. You'd have to be making bricks. You don't understand where you could have been. But some what happened was, God used this guy that couldn't even hardly talk right, and his brother named Aaron, Moses and Aaron, and he, he, he took them against the king. And one thing after another led to another led to another. And God purposely hardened his heart so that the people of Egypt could see the greatness of the glory of God. But the final straw, son, in your freedom was bloodshed. Life was given for your life. The final straw, the reason you and I can sit here and have this conversation today, in freedom, in liberty, we're not making bricks, we're not in bondage anymore. The reason we can stand here today, son, and have this conversation, is because God made a covenant with us. As long as we be faithful to sacrifice the firstborn, then we remain in freedom. God cared so much that he himself sacrificed his firstborn as the lamb for you and for I I love this the story of the Exodus out of Egypt is amazing in itself family This is years and years and years and years and years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. And here says this boy and dad talking about this lamb that they've slain and his blood spewing out and life is literally leaving the lamb so that the son can live. And years and years later hanging on a cross. Is God looking down on his son and his life is spewing out. And I, I sat and I watched my blood drip and splatter on the shower floor. And my mind went to all these different places. It had a smell, it had a taste, you know. It was gross. If you're grossed out, I'm sorry. There's nothing gross about the blood of Jesus. To know that God loved me enough. I preached this to you a while back, a donkey. If you got a donkey, you slay a lamb in the donkey's place. He loved me enough as a donkey that he sent his firstborn to die in my place. And that the life of Jesus was poured out. And put over this temple, over this doorpost, so that death could pass over me. That's an amazing thought for me. Three different thoughts. First of all, the wall you're pushing up against that you feel so much resistance has nothing to do with you, it has nothing to do with your failure, it has nothing to do with your inadequacy, it has nothing to do with your insecurity. That brick wall that you're facing, God has hardened that situation so that on the other side of that wall, he can receive the glory. We can't walk in defeat. We can't walk in, we can't walk away with our heads down, questioning. That wall is hard for a reason. Breaking through our families is difficult for a reason. Second thought is, an encouragement second thought is today some frogs need to be removed from our household there's some junk that needs to be put out the door today don't wait till tomorrow we're not putting off tomorrow what we can do today we're taking care of business today there's some mess in our house that needs to be put out and you have the authority yet for so long we've said, no, I'll do it tomorrow, no, I'll do it tomorrow, no, I'll do it tomorrow. And here we are a year later and the frogs are still ribbit in the bedroom. We can't even lay our head down at night without hearing that frog over and over. Lastly, we need to go to distance. Some of us are going just far enough that we can retreat back to the comfort zone. Some of us are not going all in. We're not willing to give everything and commit everything to the Lord because it's uncomfortable. I'm telling you, if you turn around and go back to the place you come from, you're going back into slavery. Keep pushing and walk away into freedom. Father, Done my very best under your anointing to deliver this word today. Father, we hear your heart. You're calling us to more. God, you're calling us, first of all, to get rid of some junk in our lives, to get rid of some frogs. The things that keep us up at night, the things that are driving us crazy, the things that are driving wedges between our relationships. God, we keep putting them off until tomorrow, but you say, God, get rid of them today. Don't let us be like Pharaoh and and walk and we're comfortable, we're content with the frogs long enough that we say, "Okay, we'll put them off tomorrow, God." But we can walk in that God today in the power under the power of the name of Jesus. We can get rid of the frogs. Father, you're calling us to go out a little further. We want to remain comfortable. We want to stay in this place of comfort where we can retreat back to our comfort zone, our our home, our food, our provision. We can retreat back, God, but today we declare retreating is retreating back into slavery. God, let us not have something in our heart that's holding us back, but let us push forward. Father, We understand today that the difficulty you've put in front of us is not against us, but it's for us. God, and for every voice that's been in our head telling us that you're standing on the other side of the wall pushing against us, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. God, you're not against us, you're for us. In fact, God, your word tells us that every weapon that's formed against us, God, shall not prosper. Not only are you with us, God, But nothing can stand against us as long as you're for us. Father, we have an understanding today. We reach a level of maturity to understand that it's not all about us. And that you are calling us to bust through the hardness. God, and I pray through every situation today, that somebody on the other side of that wall be reached. Somebody on the other side of that wall be ministered to. We give it to you today, God, in Jesus' name, amen.